Hello, welcome to Catherine's Content. I was actually able to get a spinoff series from the main podcast with Emily via Nicole that consists of a single episode, this one. So today I will be all by myself and I'll be discussing how French colonialism impacted the Amazigh and Arab relations both during and after colonization. So before I begin, I do want to clarify that there are a lot of different groups of Amazigh and the relationships between the Amazigh and the Arab populations are not going to be the same everywhere, and I'm not trying to suggest that there is a monolith of experience. Additionally, a lot of the authors in this field are Western-based and will have a Western lens when they write about the subject, and I do want to address that that is a potential influence on the way that research is written and could possibly come in to this podcast. I did interview Dr. Kanus, who is a professor at LSU, and I interviewed her about the subject because she is from Morocco and she often goes back to Morocco. She can offer some insight to what common perceptions are of the Amazigh and what it's like in daily life with those social relationships. So I will be incorporating what I learned from our interview into this podcast. Unfortunately, I was not able to directly insert our interview into the podcast due to a technical error, but I did take notes during it and I will be able to incorporate that information later on in the podcast. So very big thanks to Dr. Kanus for allowing me to interview her for this podcast. So the Amazighin are the indigenous group located in the Maghreb, which is northern and western Africa, including the Sahara Desert. So they are categorized as any of the descendants from pre-Arab indigenous people of northern Africa. So before the Arab people came in, these were the people that were there for quite a long time. So estimates of their population vary, but seem to put them around 30 million. And this is outside of Morocco and Algeria. They're, they're within that population, but there are more existing outside of them. And estimates range from 18 to 20 million for Morocco, and then for Algeria it's about 9 to 13 million. And the indigenous group speaks their own language, which is Tamazight, and so that's something that's very important to them, and they have a distinct culture and customs that distinguish them from the Arab populations in those places. So colonial rule in northern Africa, it was dominated by France, so both Morocco and Algeria were colonized by France. However, the colonial attitudes towards the indigenous groups were very different between Algeria and Morocco. They had very different styles, that is the whole point of the podcast. And so as described by Sahar Larifi, current national identity still rests upon the French colonial imposed social division between Arabs and Amazighs and Muslims and non-Muslims. Creating this boundary helped to establish a divide and rule colonial system because that is what they used and they thought that that would be most effective. And in some ways, I suppose it was. And once colonial rule ended, the rulers needed to create a national identity and they used the Arab Islamic identity, which kind of left out the Amazigh people because that was what they had before. So it was the easiest to recall and the most uh, common ground I suppose anyone had. So I'm going to start off with Algeria's colonial rule. So they were under French colonial rule for a much longer time than Morocco. So they were colonized throughout the 19th and 20th century. And as a result, the Amazighin banded with the Arab people against the common enemy, which was the French state. 
So they had a lot more interaction and socialization because of the colonial rule. And this is one of the reasons that the Amazigh are generally, among common people, more accepted in Algeria. However, they are still ostracized and oppressed in both countries. There's just a bit of a disparity in the extent of that. So when France colonized Algeria to become first-class citizens, they had to give up Islam. So reclaiming Islam was essential in the post-colonial formation of identity and establishing a national culture and sense of community. So the Amazigh had a perceived proximity to whiteness by the French colonizers because physically they looked different. And according to Calvet, they seemed keener to renounce their Muslim legacy. And consequently, they were treated preferentially relative to the Arab people's communities, and they were the ones who were elevated to positions of power. So they had control over the Arab populations to some degree, and this was supposed to create like a wedge between them and divide the two groups, but instead of having them completely isolated, they were now able to interact and have a common enemy, like I said. And the use of Amazigh as leaders, it was supposed to create divisions, but it actually served to increase contact between them and helped to diffuse the Amazigh culture. So it was a lot less foreign in Algeria than it was in Morocco, where they stayed separate. So before French colonial rule, the Amazigh and Arab communities had no interaction. They were completely isolated. And in the fight for independence, both Amazigh and Arab people fought to overthrow French rule. This was in Algeria, not in Morocco, but the Amazigh were seen as favored by the French colonizers and were associated with the colonial state. So because they were favored by France and because they were uplifted to those positions of power, while it did increase those connections, it still made them seem as like as though they were tied to the colonizers. And although there was a better framework within which to assert recognition of their culture, their legal customs were still suppressed after independence. And that post-colonization unification in Algeria resulted in substantial economic and social disparities between the Amazighs and the Arab Muslim populations. So some examples of the Amazighs trying to get more recognition of their culture and their language was like in 1980 with the Berber Spring in Algeria, in which young Imazirin demanded recognition of their language as part of national identity and history. And then in 2001, the Black Spring, which were violent protests enacted by Kabil activists, which is another indigenous group in Algeria. It's one of the Amazigh, uh, led to Tamazigh, which is the language being recognized as an official language in Algeria. And so this is an example of how the violent protests were effective, but they were violent. And that will be something that's discussed later on, particularly in Morocco's discourse about the Amazigh people. So post-colonization, the Amazigh people did have to fight for more rights and recognition and autonomy, as many native groups do. And I'll discuss more about the current political, social, economic relationships after I cover Morocco's colonialism. So for Morocco's colonization, the period was shorter and it began much later. So Morocco was colonized by France securely in 1912, which was 80 years after Algeria. 
Morocco did not have the same continuous colonial practices, so they didn't have this have the same need to band together against a common enemy. So the French influence and control overall was less extreme in Morocco, and they did not impose the same social structures that they did in Algeria. For example, the whole divide-and-rule attitude that was meant to drive a wedge between the Amazigh and the Arab populations, in which they placed the Amazigh over the Arab people. However, they still did implement changes that would influence the Amazigh and Arab relationships. So during my discussion with Dr. Kanush, she encouraged me to look into the significance of the Berber decree, which was not discussed at length in most of the texts I had encountered. However, the decree essentially maintained that the French rule would allow the Amasyak people to abide by their own laws and customs, and according to William Hoisington, this decree was met with anger from some Arab people since they saw it as an attempt to restrict expansion into Amazigh land and as a threat to Islam and Sharia law. So this decree really helped like cement the idea that the Amazigh people and the colonizers were kind of connected and that the colonizers protected them and help them out while the Arab populations were only harmed by colonialism and they were not favored. And so the Berber Decree helped to establish this idea and these sentiments that the Amazigh were kind of anti-Arab or anti-Islam. And this decree was really important in establishing those ideas. Even though this was during colonialism, those sentiments are still felt today and worse felt throughout colonialism. So back to colonialism, the struggle for independence was much quicker than Algeria's and Morocco didn't have to resort to armed conflict, which meant that the Amazigh and the Arab communities didn't have to work together in gaining independence, so they stayed really isolated and spatially separated. Additionally, there was not the active choice post-colonization to unify the different peoples in Morocco like there was in Algeria. The Amazigh and the Arab people occupy very different geographic areas, whereas in Algeria they have assimilated more and so those cultures are able to interact and become syncretized. Not fully, but there's more of that. And in Morocco, it's very disparate. So the cities with the most political clout in Morocco have a really low Amazigh population, which reflects how the indigenous people are disadvantaged, particularly politically and then also economically. And the result is that currently the Amazigh are used as scapegoats and they are really heavily politicized and they lack the political influence of their Arab counterparts in Morocco. This holds true for Algeria as well, but it's just a lot more extreme in Morocco. And there is a lot more discourse about the Amazigh. So in both cases of colonization between France and Morocco and then France and Algeria, they did establish this perceived connection between the Amazigh and the colonists. And this did create hostilities in both places. However, the colonial practice in Algeria allowed for more diffusion and more interaction between the Amazigh and the Algerian, the Algerian Arab people. And in Morocco, they stayed very separate, and so they were quite alien, but still seen as connected to the colonists. And so that really intensified the hostilities between the two in Morocco.
So now I will be discussing the current relationships between the Amaziyah and Arabs in Algeria and Morocco. So in Algeria, the Amaziyah are less politicized because of the French colonial strategies, and they are more accepted and they're not used as scapegoats in the way that they are in Morocco. And there is not nearly as much discourse about the Amaziyah because of the interactions between the communities under colonial rule. So it kind of backfired on the French since they banded together against the French and it actually turned out the divide and rule strategy to make them more cooperative. And the government does allow for Amaziyah civil society organizations. It's very sweet of them. However, they do not recognize Amaziyah political parties and in no way actively seek to empower them. They also made Tamaziyah the language of the Amaziyahin, the second official language in 2016. However, a referendum in 2018 was vetoed that would allow Tamaziyah to be taught in schools. But at least they got the referendum, right? But actually, they are relatively suppressed in terms of political clout and agency. Um, so in Algeria, it's a more quiet, passive acceptance of the Amasiyuk rather than an actual em- embracing of the Amasiyuk or any kind of uplifting attitudes. But it's not exactly actively hostile. So now in Morocco, the post-independence political system was still rooted in the monarchy after colonization. So in comparison to Algeria, the government is less accepting of the Amaziyah, and they still see them as a source of political and civil unrest and instability. This does not only stem from colonial rule, though, since there was an effort towards Arabization and creating a pan-Arabic identity in the 1960s and 70s, which increased the alienation of the Amaziyahs, since they are not covered under that. But it is an understandable sentiment to want to create a common culture whenever you do have a single religious identity. So to intensify this otherization, the Amaziyah are also scapegoated as sources of conflict and disturbance, since protesters often wear the Amaziyah flag and are arrested publicly, and they're kind of seen as just equated with disturbing the peace. And it has been easy to equate them, to equate Amaziyah iconography with political unrest. And this could just be a useful tool to deny them any real change or any autonomy to say that they are simply insurgents and that they just make trouble for the sake of it rather than having any real legitimacy to their claims. And so this perception of them as just agents of political unrest does a lot to delegitimize their claims. So in Morocco, the Amaziyah had to fight for recognition as well, and it was only until 1994 that Tamaziyah was taught in schools, and the rise of the Arab Spring in 2011 demanded further recognition of Amaziyah culture, and a new constitution was enacted on July 2011 that recognized the, the Amaziyah people. However, when it comes to protests for further inclusivity and acknowledgement of Amaziyah identity, it is often met with immediate and potentially violent police response, so they're really not able to um, stake their claims about what they want and the changes that they want to see for themselves.
So in my interview with Dr. Kanus, I asked about the current disparities between the Amazigh and the Arab people. She greatly emphasized the importance of language in reinforcing the divide between the two, and the language barrier is a huge obstacle in supporting and uplifting the Amazigh people, which reflects why the efforts to have their language recognized is so important. I asked her if this was the most important factor, and she did say that it was, in her opinion, the, the biggest barrier, the biggest obstacle in terms of uplifting the Amazigh people and improving their status. And another issue that she discussed was how the healthcare and education is severely lacking for the Amazigh, and none of the articles had described exactly how these disparities manifested, but the difference in the standard of living is apparently really extreme. And talking to her, it made it a lot more real rather than just saying that there are some people with less economic advantages. Um, so she described the issues with poverty. And for example, um, sex work for some Amazigh women is all that they can turn to. And so there are real like, consequences to these disparities in education and healthcare because it's apparently a very healthcare system and so they are just severely underserviced and the poor education system makes it difficult for the people to accumulate wealth and improve their their status and overall there are just so many structural issues that actively work to harm Amazigh communities in Morocco and when I asked if these circumstances were simply a byproduct of nationalism and trying to overcome colonization or if it was like an active choice in the government Dr. Kanu suggested that it was an active choice in the government, government's part to disadvantage and suppress the Amazigh economically and politically because they are still seen as being tied to uh, Western imperialism and there is a lot of like national sentiment that does not, that provides kind of like a rejection of Amazigh. And another interesting note was that apparently in Morocco, if you bring up the Amazigh in a positive way or defend them or talk about their rights, there is a sense of suspicion or like a doubt towards you. And of course, this is just one person's experience, but it clearly happens enough to be a noticeable trend um, because sentiments that support the Amazigh are still seen as kind of un-Moroccan and Western and, and an extension of that Western imperialism. Once again, so it's kind of like if you were to come to America and start saying that you hated America, the general reaction to that would be with a lot of suspicion towards that person. And it is an interesting reflection of how the anti-colonial attitudes persist in daily life and daily conversations such as those and the ones she had had with uh, Arab people in Morocco. So the hostilities and the tensions between the Amazigh people and the Arab populations that were established under colonial rule in Morocco are still very palpable, very tangible in current Moroccan society, both socially, politically, and economically, since they have very little political clout, they don't have any parties, and they are severely underserviced in terms of healthcare and education. And so these disparities are reflective of how the colonial rule impacted their relationships between the Amazigh and Arab people.
So overall, the colonial influences of Morocco and Algeria have played huge roles in the current social and political standing of the Amazigh people in their respective countries. Colonial rule did harm the Amazigh in both countries, and the political systems in place after colonization continued the oppression and otherization of the Amazigh people. However, the colonial rule of Algeria provided a foundation from which the Amazigh and Arab people could be more cooperative and have that sense of like passive acceptance. In Morocco, on the other hand, the colonial impact was more des- detrimental to the Amazigh Arab relations, and the political system continued that cycle of oppression even after colonialism, which goes for both, but it was more extreme in Morocco. I think one of the most interesting aspects of this discussion, though, is the nature of nationalism, because it is a natural reaction to want to have a sense of common identity and commonality with your people after colonization. It's almost the most efficient and effective thing to do in terms of consolidating power and making sure your country can move forward. So what does that mean for groups inside of that country that don't fall within that? And is there any way to kind of work around that? So for example, with Algeria, would having less spatial separation have worked? Would that be more effective or would there still be those extreme tensions in Morocco, even with more proximity. So that does bring us to the end of my solo spinoff series of one episode, Catherine's Content. Thank you so much for listening.